every weightlifter will tell you that resistance builds strength. And for maximum strength to be, guilt, to, to be built, there's a process. Resistance to the point of exhaustion and then rest. And then that process is repeated over and over again. Resistance to the point of exhaustion and then rest. And it's repeated and each time the muscle gets stronger, the resistance of the heavier weight to the point of exhaustion, then rest produces strength in that muscle. Every weightlifter will tell you that. Now last week we started the book of James. And we said that the theme of the book that we're going to focus on over the next few weeks is this. If we don't use our faith for all practical purposes, it's worthless. Believing all the right stuff is not enough. Going to the right church, not enough. Believing the right doctrines, not enough. If we don't apply what we know, it's the same as not knowing it. Faith that is not applied to everyday life is worthless and useless and dead. And if our faith is going to do us any good, it has to be put to work. The whole book of James is about how to do faith. In other words, what does it mean? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the real world? Not just what are we supposed to believe, but what are we supposed to do with what we believe? And James begins his book with what I believe is his most difficult topic. It's the hardest one for us to hear. And I think that maybe when he sat down to write the book, he said, you know, we better get this out of the way right up front because if they don't get this, if they don't understand this, they won't understand the rest of the book. And here's what he says to us. Here's what we're looking at this morning. He says, if we're going to apply our faith and we're going to put it to work in our day-to-day life, if we're going to do more than go to a church and believe the right stuff, if Monday through Saturday we're going to actually live out our faith, then here's what we need to know. That God is going to allow some things to come into our lives that are difficult and painful so that He can use those things to make our faith stronger. And if we want to have active faith that makes a difference in our lives, we need to learn to recognize trouble as something allowed by God for the strengthening of our faith. Resistance builds strength. And for maximum strength to be built, there's a process of resistance that has to happen over and over again. Resistance to the point of exhaustion and then rest. And the process is repeated and strength is increased. And James will say to us today, our faith is built in the same way. And God is so interested in us having the strongest possible faith that He will allow things into our lives that put us through a similar process. Turn over in your Bible to the book of James. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. You can follow along there. Last week in our introduction, we started at the middle of the book and kind of setting the stage, getting an understanding of what he was going to be talking about, what the theme of the book was. And and today, we're going to start back at the beginning and begin this week and work our way through several passages that help us answer this question. What does it look like? when we apply our faith, when we put it to work in our everyday life. Because if we're ready to move beyond church attendance on Sunday faith, 
If we're ready to get past, I believe, all the right doctrine kind of faith. If we're ready for our faith to work its way out in our families, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our finances, in our attitudes, in our work. And James has some great stuff for us. And he starts off with the topic of trouble and testing. James chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. James is writing to followers of Jesus who had been Jews. They they had been born and raised in the Jewish religious tradition, and they were now scattered all over the known world by persecution that had come against them. And look what he says to them in verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And at this point, if we didn't know who was writing this book, we'd be tempted to slam the Bible shut and just say, this guy's done lost his ever-loving mind. Joy and trouble, those two words don't go together. But when we understand who's writing it, We have to take him seriously. James was the half-brother of Jesus. And he had been through troubled times. And he was writing to people who had experienced trouble. Jews who had become Christians, who had come to believe that Jesus was the Christ, that he was their Messiah, and that through faith in him they could experience God as their heavenly Father. And they they go through that experience, they come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and they go to the synagogue wanting to share this wonderful news they had found, and they're outcasts, literally cast out, thrown out of the synagogues because of their faith in Christ. And then they began to be persecuted, to be mistreated. They had to leave their homes, many of them did, leave their possessions behind. Their families were divided. And when that began to happen, they asked the same question that you and I ask when life is a wreck. Where are you, God? I thought you were good. God, I'm praying here and nothing seems to be happening. I'm praying and nothing's changing. What's going on here, God? See, the the religious culture they had grown up in said if good things are happening, then God is pleased with you. But if bad things are going on, then God is not pleased with you. I'm so glad that kind of thinking doesn't exist in the church today, aren't you? Here's this group of people, brand new in their faith. They've placed their faith in Christ and suddenly life is messed up. And they default to one of two wrong ideas. They think something must be wrong with me or something might be wrong with God. And James says, not at all. Not at all. When you run into trouble, you need to see it as a reason for joy. Great joy. And that that was confusing to them. Just like it can be to some of us. I mean, some of us are hearing these words for the very first time. 
Some of us grew up in church, maybe. We've heard or read these verses a hundred times. But let me tell you what we're all tempted to do. We're all tempted to say, yeah, 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 okay. But you need to hear my story. I, I know it says joy in trouble, but I, I'll bet you I'm an exception. I just bet that if, if God or James were to hear what I'm going through, I, I bet if God or James knew what my circumstances were, they'd say, whew, man, in your case, just forget about that joy thing. You go stand in the exception line. But James doesn't make any exceptions. He tells each one of us, we can find joy in trouble. And now watch how him define trouble for us from God's point of view. This is how God defines trouble. It's in verse 3, the first part, when he says, For you know that when your faith is tested, and there it is. God sees our troubles as a testing of our faith. We say, God, my life's a wreck. God says, no. Your faith is being tested. We say, God, look what's happening to me. God says, I know. Your faith is being tested. We say, God, I can't stand this. God says, I know. Your faith is being tested. When we are followers of Jesus, any trouble, any tragedy, any failure, any pain, any difficulty that enters our existence from God's point of view, it's not a victory for the devil. Man, we just give the devil too much credit, you know? And and bless the devil's heart, he gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he doesn't do. But it's not a victory for the devil when there's trouble or trial or tragedy in our life. It doesn't mean that God's not pleased with us. It doesn't mean that he's rejected us or withdrawn his hand from us. It's not even necessarily because of some sin that we might have committed. Ultimately, every trouble we experience is a test of our faith. But why? That's what we want to know, isn't it? Why? Because when bad things happen to us, the first thing we do is say, Oh my God. He gets our undivided attention. Suddenly our faith in Him, that He is who He says He is, that He'll do what He says He will do, that faith begins to encounter some resistance. And remember, strength is built by resistance. The reality is, living in a happy little world, everybody's happy, everybody's well, everybody has money, everybody gets along, everybody's good. That doesn't really do much to build our faith, does it? We like it. It feels good. But when life is like that, we don't wake up in the morning saying, Oh God, I hope I can keep my faith in you today. Please come through for me today. No, the the truth is, we usually ignore God when we're living in a happy little world. I mean, I'll leave Him alone if He'll leave me alone. But when life's a mess... When life's a wreck, suddenly there's interaction between us and God. 
Suddenly we've got to know, God, please let me know that you're out there, that you care about me. God, I need to know that you're going to walk with me through this. And our faith muscles encounter some resistance. Sometimes to the point of exhaustion. And they begin to be built up. Strengthened. James says if we really want to apply our faith, we want to put it to work on a daily basis, we start by seeing trouble as a test of our faith. Take a look at the rest of verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. The end result that God is driving us to is endurance. Some translations say perseverance. God wants our faith to be developed to the point that when everything around us is crashing, when things are getting worse and worse, we can still say, I believe in you, God. When there is less and less for us to put our confidence in, we can still say, God, I trust you. Hey, that is the response of faith that is applied and working and active and strong and enduring. James goes on, verse 4. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing. And here's what James has just done. He's given us a definition of spiritual maturity. And watch this. Write this down. It's in your notes. It's not about how much we know. It's about how much our faith can endure. Spiritual maturity is not about how much we know. It's about how much our faith can endure. God's ultimate goal for you and me is not that we know everything. It's not. not. It's not about having a great front and center kind of ministry. It's not about being a great singer or a, or a musician or a teacher or an evangelist. As far as God is concerned, we will be perfect and complete, needing nothing else, nothing more, when we have the ability to hang on to our faith and remain faithful when there is nothing to hang our faith on except who God is. When we are no longer depending on anything except who God is, that's when we're perfect and complete. That's when we're spiritually mature. And that's where God wants to take every one of us. I love the way I heard a preacher express this. And I'm paraphrasing it. I don't have the exact quote, but he said something like this. Trouble is not a sign that God has deserted us. It's a sign that He is actively working in our lives. Do you get that? You ought to write that down. Trouble is not a sign that God has deserted us. It is a sign that He is actively working in our lives. That's why we can have joy. Because trouble in our lives is not about where'd you go, God. It's about God working in me right now. And I know. I know we say, well, I wish He wouldn't work that way. Or I wish He'd go work on somebody else. James says, get this one right, and it'll set you free. The trouble in our life is what God uses to make us strong and perfect and complete and mature. 
Today is, is mine and Vicky's 23rd wedding anniversary. And let me tell you something that blows me away. And it is that my wife's love for me shines brightest in my darkest moments. Really, that's true of, of every marriage. See, I, I know that Vicky loves me not when things are great, but when I am extremely unlovable. When I am creating situations and circumstances in our home that make it very difficult to love me, and she still maintains her faith in me, and she still loves me, those are the most amazing and humbling moments for me. Those are the moments when I realize how blessed I really am. And now listen, listen carefully. When you and I can say to God, Lord, in spite of all that's going on in my life, I will believe. I will keep my faith and my trust and my confidence in you because of who you are and because of what you did through Jesus Christ on the cross. Hey, listen, that is when we are honoring and worshiping and loving God in the purest way possible. And that's where He wants to take us. I'm just like you. There are a lot of times that my joy, my faith in Christ is all about what He's done for me lately. You know, how my blessings are stacking up. How trouble-free my life is. James says this. He says, God understands that. And so every now and then, He's going to allow things to come into your life that make a mess, <laughs> that disturb your peace. Every now and then, God's going to allow things that come into our lives that cause our faith to meet some resistance. And when it happens, our endurance is going to be built up and we're going to grow stronger. And then... Guess what? It's going to happen again and again and again until we are depending not on God's blessings, not on a, a happy, shiny life and happy little world, but only on Him because of who He is and what He has done. And in the process, we will grow up into spiritual maturity. James is going to shift gears now. He's told us why. Why troubles come. It's for the building of your faith. It's because God is interested in us having the strongest faith possible. And that can't be done with an easy life. Now he goes on to tell us what to do. What to do in the middle of stuff that is testing our faith. Look at verse 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. James says in the middle of the mess, when life is a train wreck and our faith is being tested, we need to ask for wisdom. Oh, yeah, right. 
I don't ask for wisdom. I ask for relief. I, I don't want wisdom. I want out. James says, no. Trouble is a test of your faith. And in the midst of it, you need to ask for wisdom. Now, specifically, that means that we say to God, Lord, help me see this thing the way you see it. That's what wisdom is, seeing life from God's point of view. That's wisdom. And in the middle of trouble, we ought to be saying, yeah, I want out. And yeah, I don't like this. And I don't understand it, but God, will you please help me to begin to see it the way you see it so I can respond in the right way. So I can respond well. Because by myself, I might be tempted to think that you've abandoned me. That you've left me hanging out here to dry. But but if I can see it the way you see it, Lord. If I can respond in a way that helps my faith get built up, it will make me more mature. And here's the amazing, reassuring, confidence-building promise of these verses. If we have the faith in the middle of our troubles to say, God, give me your wisdom. Show me. Let me see this the way you see it. He will answer that prayer. James says he will give it to us. He'll give us wisdom and he won't get mad at us and he won't criticize us for trying to understand what we're going through the way he does. And what he tells us next is so important. Verse 6, first part of verse 6 there. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. And here's why. Because if we're going to ask God for wisdom, we need to ask from the standpoint of faith and and, and not doubt. I mean, when we ask God for something, we need to believe that He's going to give it to us. I mean, why in the world would we ask God for something if we don't believe that He can or will do it? And then James tells us what it's like. He says, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Now, the truth is we're all like that to some extent. I mean, most of us, when things are going great in our lives, we think, yeah, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. When things are bad, we wonder if there even is a God. When things are good, we just feel so close to Him. And He's walking right beside us. And He's holding our coats. (laughs) When things are bad, all that kind of dries up, doesn't it? We start to worry and to doubt. And suddenly, Jesus died on the cross for me is not enough. The guarantee of eternal life with God in heaven is not enough. So James tells us, in the midst of trouble, when we ask God for wisdom, to be able to see this thing as He sees it, and we just need to say, Lord, I, I trust You. 
I believe in you. I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to bargain with you. I'm just coming to you because I trust you and I'm asking you to give me some insight into this thing we're going through. Into this, Give me some insight, Lord, into why this thing's happening. Give me some insight, Lord, into how my faith is being built because I'm surviving this circumstance. And James says God will honor that prayer. But if we fall into the trap of... Say, well, I used to believe, you know, now I'm not so sure. I, I think God's withdrawn His hand. I think He's abandoned me. And James says, you're not going to hear clearly from God. The testing of our faith is to build up our endurance and strengthen our faith so that we can mature, so that we can grow up and God can be glorified in our lives. You know, when I, when I face trouble, I'm just like you. I, you know, you've heard me say that before. I'm just like you, only more so. Being a pastor doesn't turn me into super faith man, able to leap to all problems in a single bound. I have the, I have the same fears and the same worries as everyone else, but, but here's why I believe that all this is true. Everything we've talked about up to this point this morning is true. It's because I've been involved in some aspect of ministry since I was 20 years old. Youth pastor, church planter, associate pastor, senior pastor. And I, I've, I've seen and I've dealt with more people than I can number who have faced all kinds of trouble. I, 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 could tell, I won't, but I could tell you some stories that would curl your hair about things people have been through. I've seen people with health problems and money problems, addictions, dysfunctional families, and relationship problems. And in those situations, I've seen two kinds of people. I've seen people whose trouble and problems have shipwrecked them. I mean, it's destroyed their faith. And they got mad at God. And they're still, some of them are still mad at God 20, 25 years later, and they won't go to church. And they've given up any claim they might have had to once be a, to be a follower of Christ. And then I've seen those people who were able to see trouble is being allowed in their life by a God who wants to see them with strong faith. He wants to see them be mature and grown up. And I've seen them face incredibly horrible circumstances saying, I don't understand why this is happening, but if God loved me enough to send His Son to die for me, then I will never question His goodness. I will never question His intentions. I will never doubt His mercy. And his kindness. And I want you to know something. Those folks come out on the other side of trouble with faith that is not just intact, it is stronger. They are more committed to Jesus than they have ever been. So that's why, that's why I believe all this. Because I've seen it. 
I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of people suffering a whole lot worse than any of us. And I don't like trouble. I don't, I don't want trouble. And I don't like pain. I don't like it when my life or anybody else's is a mess. But here's what I know. God values strong, enduring, active faith so much that He is willing to allow and to use the trouble that comes into our lives to build that faith and lead us to maturity until we get to the place where we are depending and trusting in nothing else but Him. And uh, let me tell you why a sermon like this makes us uncomfortable. In fact, the, the book of James makes us uncomfortable. Some people really uncomfortable. Martin Luther didn't even, you know, he called it the epistle of straw. He didn't even believe it needed to be included in the New Testament. He, he just really didn't like it. It seems harsh to us in some places. But here's why. Because we're not there yet. Because our, because our faith is not perfect and complete and mature yet. But the good news is, God can get us there. God can get us there. But it's going to take some trouble and it's going to take some stuff that we may not like when it's happening. But if we will let God work, if we will let Him use the circumstances of our life, we will come out stronger with stronger faith. And a deeper walk with Him. James says, that's what God does. That's how God wants to work in my life and in your life. If we have the courage and commitment to apply our faith, to put it to work every day in our life, if we can begin to understand that when we face trouble, it doesn't mean that God has deserted us. It's a sign that He's actively working on us to build in us strong, enduring faith. And if we can see that, then we will come out of this thing, whatever it is, better, stronger, more mature. And God will be glorified. It's not about what we know. It's about applying our faith. It's about having a strong faith. It's about building an enduring faith. It's about putting faith to work. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes and let's pray together this morning.